it's still a challenge to walk away from work. And it's still a challenge to set those boundaries. And it doesn't matter if you're junior or you're senior, when you're committed to your work, you're constantly having to rewrite the map that is your work-life balance. And as long as you recognize it and you sort of take that deep breath and rewrite it, it's very helpful. Welcome to The Art of Speaking Up, a podcast that empowers professional women to rise. I'm your host, Jessica Guzik, and in this show, I take you undercover into the stories and lessons that I learned, sometimes the hard way, throughout my career. I also talk with working women, leaders, and coaches to show you that no matter what your struggle is and no matter what your career goals are, you already have all the talent that you need to succeed. In the very early days of my career, I really struggled with saying no. And I think that that's a really normal thing that so many of us deal with at various points in our career, which is a feeling that we have to say yes to everything. And we need to do that in order to be seen as a top performer and in order to be rewarded and to do well in our careers. But what I learned and what perhaps I wish I had learned a bit more quickly is that it's, it's actually not about saying yes to everything all of the time. And the power of saying no and the ability to say no and to know how to say no and when to say no and who to say no to is a critical ingredient in driving a career forward, especially if you want to keep moving up and gaining more responsibility and more respect in your position. But it's hard. The challenges are real and it can feel really scary to say no or to get out of the pattern of always agreeing and always being the yes person. And that's why I'm really excited to bring you this conversation with a really good friend of mine named Alexia Friend. She works as a landscape architect. She has been doing that for many years, and she's been incredibly successful at the firm that she works at. And in this conversation, we talk all about how she learned over time to strategically and carefully and with lots of respect and leadership, how to have conversations with higher ups about the best way to get things done. And what I think you'll take away from this conversation is that even though it can feel scary to push back or to say no, there are ways to do it. There are strategic ways that you can do it that actually help the people around you, including higher-ups, including your manager, see you as a leader. If you are looking to up-level the way you communicate, and if you are looking to be more perceived as a leader, there are so many pieces of wisdom in this conversation, and I'm so excited for you to hear them. And with that, I will let you meet my really good friend, Alexia. I think that you'll love her as much as I do, and enjoy. My name is Alexia Friend. I'm a landscape architect. For those of you who don't know what a landscape architect is, we design outdoor spaces, public plazas, parks, university campuses, gardens, and the like. All that aside, I graduated from school in a horrible economic downturn, and I basically begged for my first job. And I had looked at the website of the person who I was going to interview with, and the class that I was teaching in undergrad 
uh, coincided with a research focus of the firm I was looking at. And so I happened to mention it on the way out. And she took me on as an intern coming out of undergrad because there were no jobs at all. You remember it was 2009. I don't know if you want to share which year I graduated school, but there were no jobs. And I figured I can't sit home all summer doing nothing. I have to try and work towards a full-time career. So I got an internship. And then that internship really ended up paving the way for where I ended up now because my boss had a relationship with a graduate school I wanted to go to. And so she made that connection for me. And all of this is to say that I begged for my first job. It turned out to be a really good fit. And then through luck and circumstance and hard work, I ended up at a wonderful firm that I've been working for for the past six years. And one thing that we're going to be talking a lot about in this conversation is things like setting boundaries and making sure that there is a sense of autonomy and balance uh, as we're as you're going through your career. So I wanted to ask you what it was like in your earlier career days when it came to things like setting boundaries, saying no, or any kind of pushback against what was coming in. So in my early years at the position I'm currently in, it was difficult to get out of school mode. For So for those of you who have ever been to design school or are familiar with the setting of what design school is like, it's intense. It's a studio experience. People are there all hours of the night, partially because it spurs the creative um, sense in everybody and you could feed ideas off of one another. But also there's this feeling that you just can't leave and you're locked in. And so you're you're living working, sleeping, playing environment all revolves around the studio. And then when you get to your real job, that bleeds into it. So your your school habits don't fall off. And that makes it quite difficult to, to carve your own space because for the last however many years you were studying, you were so involved in that biosphere that's created in studio, which is both wonderful and a very toxic environment. I think about this a lot too, especially with what you said about like when you started, you were still in school mode and like trying to prove yourself. I think boundary setting in the very early years of someone's career is one of the trickiest things because as you get more senior, it does get easier. You have respect and you have reputation. But when you're starting out, it's not as straightforward because you you are trying to prove yourself. Yeah. So a lot of the ways that I've tried to set boundaries is figuring out where I can leave and and where I need to stay. Because I'll be honest with you, it's a bit disheartening, but there are still days that are late. Last week, there was a team of five people and we were there till past midnight. And that obviously that sucks. But when when the time calls, then we do stay when we need to. But usually it's with a team and you're not left floundering by yourself late at night. And if that's the case, then that's not okay. I would say a bad scenario is when your boss is leaving or your superior, whomever you're reporting to, is leaving every day at a certain time and leaving you with a pile of work. And so if there are two components to managing your time. There's having a good project manager that helps you manage your time and also is managing their own time because if they can't manage their project and their time, that tends to leave things on your desk at 5 p.m. and then you're working later into the evening. Whereas a good manager who may be checking in with you at 9 a.m. and saying, How's your day or your week lined up and how are we going to get this done? And that helps you manage their expectations as well as your own expectations for the week and being able to say to a friend, yeah, we have drinks planned for Thursday night. We're still on or, you know what, I think this needs a little extra attention because we all recognize we're hard workers and sometimes we need to put in that extra time. And, you know, I can't I can't make it happen this week. The other area where you can push back is managing your own time. And that's just 
I guess assessing where you're at in the week and, and being communicative and planning out how you're going to get all of your tasks done throughout the week. I really want to go into what you were saying about talking with your manager, because it's definitely hard for people to push back against their manager. But to be honest, I think it's quite scary for a lot of people even just to like go proactively have the conversation if that's not something that they're used to doing and that that's not part of their working rhythm or, you know, maybe they're still learning to develop their voice in the workplace. And so I would like to hear how that's been for you. And was that always challenging for you? Did you get better at opening up that line of communication to make sure like you're not getting the 5 p.m. like pile of right. papers dropped on your desk? Well, let's be honest. It's uncomfortable for anybody to go to their superior and say, hey, I have a commitment or I can't. And so I try to avoid terms like that <laughs> and gear towards can you please help me manage my time this week? Or how do you foresee this project playing out? Or you gave me a list of 10 things that it seems like a lofty goal, or you know maybe we could get it done, but could you help me prioritize which items you want first and which go last? And that usually ends up being a conversation of the manager really reflecting on what they've asked you to do and oftentimes saying, oh, you know what? I gave you too much work. I think we should focus on these five things and push the rest off to next week. I think those conversations have been really fruitful. When I have a manager who is not always available, I've I've scheduled Outlook invitations with them. Literally said, I need an hour of your time in order to meet this deadline or in order to keep moving. Because the worst thing you could do is sit by yourself trying to figure out a problem you don't know how to solve. And now you've wasted your time and you've wasted your project manager's time. That's something I've tried to correct in more junior staff in my office if you're not, if you're working on something and you don't know what you're supposed to be doing, please come talk to me. Cause it, it may mean that I wasn't clear about the goal. It may mean that I didn't really know what the goal was. And now that you've gotten into it, you're seeing some hiccups where I hadn't anticipated. And so having those conversations as much as possible is, is fruitful for everybody in the office. I remember having these moments where I would get an assignment and it would either be like maybe too much or just there there was not clarity around it or I didn't have what I needed. And it was really hard to break the barrier of saying something or asking for help. And I think I had a lot of stories in my mind of like, oh, like I should just figure this out. I shouldn't say anything. And, and I like I would really churn over it. And then I remember having times where I would bring it up and it would get solved in like 30 seconds just just by me vocalizing it and I really had to understand that like it's okay to bring these things up and kind of like you said like when you're in that point of spinning and churning it's really important to ask for help and not feel like you have to like it's your job to stay stuck there and your job to just like be quiet and figure it out. I, I think that's a really dangerous trap. I know I fell into that. Absolutely, and especially in a creative environment where uh, work is not meant to be solitary in our industry. That's the, the reason it's a studio environment is that you're feeding off of one another. So even if you're not necessarily going to your direct project manager for problem, if you know that someone else sitting next to you or across from you has an expertise, just get up and go ask them. I do it all the time and people are so happy to help. And, and that usually adds a fresh lens on whatever it is that you're looking at. Of course, you know, you always have to go back to your project manager and say, hey, I spoke to so-and-so to respect feelings, which <laughs> is yeah. another issue. But I actually have been listening to another podcast about women. And I don't recall which one off the top of my head, but uh, or maybe it was an article, but the overall assessment was that women tend to collect advice as opposed to maybe our male counterparts who try to 
do it on their own or bear the weight of whatever the problem is on their shoulders. And I definitely find myself to be a collector. <laughs> I like to go around to people and ask them what they think and get different input. And I wonder sometimes if it's because I'm not capable or if I have felt like I don't have the answers, but I, I actually don't think that's the case. I think it's your strength is in knowing who to turn to and knowing who to talk to and make sure that you get the right answers. And even if they're not original and you give credit to other people, there's a lot of respect in saying, oh, I took it to the next level. And I, I touched base with the person who sits next to me who has had a lot of experience in that issue. And they said so-and-so. People tend to respect that. Yeah, I think that's such a good point, too, because it's super important to have an open flow of communication with your manager. And also, you don't want to only and always go to them when you run into something. And I think like a huge, a huge kind of push forward for me was realizing the value in connecting with peers and understanding like, okay, person A is really good at this, person B is really good at this, and person C is really good at this. And it just gives you this toolkit. And like you said, people really love helping. I love helping. So it, it makes sense that other people would want to help me. Yeah, I love when people come to me for questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it makes us feel good. And I think sometimes we forget that though. And we're like, oh, like I don't want to bother them. Well, and and it's funny you say that because my my desk at work has shifted a couple of times. And it seemed like I kept getting stuck to next to uh, entry-level personnel. And at first I was like, why do I keep getting stuck next to the new people? And they're like, well, you're nice to them and you'll talk to them. And so I'd like to think of myself as an intimidating, scary person, because <laughs> in my mind, maybe that gives me a little more respect. But, but actually, I love when someone turns around and says, hey, can you help me out with something? And, and I'll turn around to junior staff and say, I really don't know how to solve this technical problem because now people coming out of school have more computer skills than I do in terms of our program software. And they can usually do something in 10 seconds that might take me 10 minutes. I'm making myself sound like an old lady, but um, <laughs> that's funny. You know, technology yeah. moves quickly. <laughs> One thing that you were talking about earlier was going to your manager and having the conversation of this is what you've given me. This is the time available. What can we do? I was saying before that that can be really scary for people. Is there anything that you have learned throughout your career that either has helped you have that conversation more easily or that you would advise to someone who the thought of having that conversation kind of makes them feel a little anxious? I try to rehearse what I'm going to say before I walk over. And again, we work in an environment where it's all open format. So there are no closed doors there are only two offices in the, in the entire space, but I try to work on how I'm going to frame my question before I walk over to the desk because I've sat in meetings and this is not a criticism of anyone in particular, but being sensitive to how you frame things can make a big difference. So I've sat in meetings where someone has said, I can't do that, or it's not going to be me because I have too much on my plate. And that immediately in my mind puts up a red flag. I mean, I'm, I'm a more senior staff person now. And I still would never say I can't. So I might walk over to someone and say, I'd like to do all of the tasks that you asked me for. I think I can accomplish A through C very well in the time that we have. I may need more support with D through E. Or I think I can accomplish A through C if we do it in this way instead of in the way you proposed. Are you comfortable with that? Or should we look at that avenue? And so sort of laying out the menu for your manager instead of coming over very harried and letting the stress take over you and say, I can't, there's too, not, there's too much stuff, not enough time. Or even in my first 
I think it was my first staff review. Someone said, you're very good at creating lists and taking notes and know, knowing exactly what the problems are. And now your next step is to, to come to me with solutions, not just coming to me with, I read the email, I read the prompt, we need to do X, Y, Z. They said, okay, now you need to come with to me with proposals of how we're going to fix it. And I, I really took that to heart. And now whenever I go over to someone, I try to come with a proposal of how we can fix it or how we can make it work, even if we can't do everything instead of just coming over with the problem. I love that so much. And I think one thing that I realized about myself is that when my overwhelm hits a, a certain threshold, I'm incapable of doing what you're doing. Because <laughs> I think sometimes it can feel like there is no solution and you have to learn not to trust your brain when your brain s- starts saying like abort, like there's no way to do this. Definitely. It's easy to say and then harder to do, right? But <laughs> but lists calm me down. <laughs> That's great. I said, said an anal person somewhere in this world. <laughs> but you, you know, if you... Sometimes I sit down, I make a list of all the things, and then maybe it doesn't seem so unachievable anymore because I can tick off a couple of those or the low-hanging fruit. Also, asking for help was a really hard thing for me to do, especially when I was mid-level. So where I didn't feel like I had full authority to ask for support in the office, but I was no longer quite as junior as I had been when I entered. In moments where you can say, hey, I need I need support. Can somebody else jump in on this? It's been critical to helping me. And then also myself letting go of control was a huge struggle of there's there's this idea that I can do it all myself better, quicker, faster than if I sat down and taught somebody. And I felt that way for a very long time. And I finally said no, in order to regain control of my life and regain control of my office life, I really need that support. So I'm gonna have to work with other people. And I've now created wonderful working relationships with some junior staff who are going to be fabulous professionals. And I can't wait to see what they do. <laughs> I very much relate to being afraid to like, give up a piece of work. Like My brain is crazy. It thinks only I can. That's like such a ridiculous thing to think that only we can do it. But it, the feeling is real. Like The feelings of needing to be in control are legitimate. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I wanted to circle back on with what you were saying before about like, I have all of these things. Here's how I will do A through C. What do you think about like D through F is ambiguity? Because I think a lot of the times it's not just the amount of things you have to do, but sometimes like, how are you going to get from point A to point B? And I think the ambiguity can be paralyzing. And I would just be interested to get your thoughts on like, or your counsel or advice on not not needing to know the answer to every single thing to still go to your manager and have that proactive conversation. If that make does that make sense? That's a great point because to step back for a moment, what you learn as a manager is by example of your previous manager. So I've had wonderful managers and I've had not such wonderful managers, and they've taught me how to do things and how not to do things. And so when I have a manager that maybe isn't as clear in directions as I would hope, I will often not leave their desk until I've repeated back to them what I think the task they've described is. Because they may say it one way, and then I'll literally regurgitate it and repeat it to them and tell them what I heard and make sure that I've heard it correctly. And when I work with a junior staff member, I'll often tell them the task and then ask them if they understand before I walk away or if they need clarification. And so when you are being given an assignment, it's not helpful if someone runs over, shouts two words at you and runs away. 
you, you really need to be able to sit with them and make sure that you understand what you're supposed to do, because that is a huge waste of everybody's time. And it happens more often than not. That is so hugely important. And I'm really glad that you brought that up because one thing that I have experienced and that I think is really important to talk about for anybody who's listening is getting instruction or being asked to do something and feeling confused. So not feeling clear on what you're being asked to do, but being afraid of your own confusion and feeling like you shouldn't be confused and you just, you're just dumb. Like you don't get it, write it down, figure it out later. Like overcoming that barrier and just asking what you need to ask and being very, very open and very free with what you ask and where you ask for more information and clarification is super important. I think there's a huge fear of sounding stupid or a huge fear of like, oh, I'm just missing something that everybody understands. And I want to get your take on this. My take is just that as humans, we're not all the best communicators. So our manager gives us something. They're not thinking about like, have I communicated this well? They're they're thinking about the, the thing and a hundred other things. So I would just love to get your take on that. There's a huge fear of asking questions. Uh, to say that someone isn't afraid is, is silly. Um, in meetings, I feel like I'm the one always asking questions. And that's another annoyance of mine. You know, they're the people who are constantly silent and you wonder, do they just get it? And then I'm the person always asking the questions. And I, I don't want to be that person. I, why can other people ask the questions too? But, you know, a lot of times I've sat in meetings where something's not clear. And I silently said in my head, Alexia, you're a smart woman. If this was clear, you would understand it. And then I'll ask the question. And after a meeting, someone will come over and say, I'm so glad you asked that because I wasn't sure what they were talking about. And then it just validates the whole well, why isn't anybody asking questions if it wasn't clear? <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. Or you ask it and the person who is saying the thing that doesn't make sense like has this moment of realization and they can't even answer your question because the the path they were going down didn't even make sense and you help everybody change course. And I think after you get that validation a few times, it can help build the muscle memory of it's okay to ask questions even if I feel like I shouldn't be. Definitely. I couldn't agree more. It's such an important thing. And I also feel like I think we get into habits and we develop patterns. And so the less we speak, the more that becomes a reinforced habit. The more we speak, obviously, the more we speak. And I think that also helps people get noticed, which helps people with their professional development and advancement and getting promotions and all of those kinds of things. And so like even those like little micro moments of like, oh, I have a question. Should I ask it? I think it's training a broader set of behaviors that is just super important for a person's professional development, especially for women. And Jess, you just made a point about being noticed. Part of being noticed is having the upper level level management know who's actually working on their projects. So for example, I might have a team of, let's say, five to seven people, and only two people need to be at a meeting. But if you bring that third person to see how the conversation unfolded, it could change the way that they do their work when they leave the meeting. It could be beneficial because they've heard everything everything directly from the horse's mouth. It also allows upper level management to know which junior staff are actually working on their project, that their FaceTime isn't only with their project managers, but also with the people doing their work. And when another project comes along that they think they might be a good fit for, that person comes to mind. And there's actually a group of women in my office who have been getting together and we've really been trying to promote one another. And and in my opinion, just promoting junior staff in general is 
making them present at the table, female or male. I completely agree. And I think that, well, it's the whole reason, one of the reasons the show is called The Art of Speaking Up. And I picked that name because I think we have a lot of control over how much we do get noticed if we're willing to like do those scary actions and take those scary steps like asking the question or saying something. And I think also having really self-aware, really good people managing teams like you or working with junior staff, whatever the structure is at the company, it helps them do that, right? And so they're, they're the external things like how much is your manager aware and how much are they pulling you in? And then there are all the things that you have the power to do on your own regardless. Yeah. And what you just, I'm not really sure which word it was, but something you just said struck, struck a thought in my head in terms of knowing yourself and time management. I am not a night person. It's that simple. If you want me to proofread something, it has to happen in the morning. Otherwise there will be mistakes. And oftentimes if I have a lot to do and I have to stay late, I tend to make more mistakes. Now, sometimes you have to stay late because you just have to get things done and I, I feel like I keep making those disclaimers throughout this podcast that tells you what the design industry is like. Um, but there, there are moments when staying late really isn't going to lead to a better work product. And, and the other night I was at the office late and I saw someone that I work with often. They're extremely late. And I thought to myself, hmm, you know, I'm not always here that late anymore, but tonight I am or the night before I was. And I've noticed that person's there a lot. And maybe... A, they probably have too much on their plate and B, their work product is probably a lot less because they're doing everything or not everything, but a large chunk of work from the hours of 6 p.m. and onwards. And then they're coming back to work in the morning and trying to retrace their steps. They're probably really tired. And I can do really good quality work during the day when I've slept in a shorter time period. And it might take me hours to do the same task at night when I'm tired. <laughs> I can totally relate to just like pushing against the same wall and like pushing, 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 and then just being like, I need to stop. Like this is just not happening right now. Yeah. And knowing that and turning off. And sometimes you, you have to walk away. I mean, I think something you and I had spoken about earlier offline was uh, being able to walk away from your desk. And there were years where nobody got up from their desk before seven. And I was afraid to touch the door before seven, even if I had nothing to do. But at a certain point, I just got up and said, okay, well, it's not seven, but I don't have anything to do. Or I'm just making busy work for myself that I can easily pick up in the morning. I'm just going to get up and go. And those nights were so delicious <laughs> because, well, first of all, you walk around the city and, and you're like, oh, people aren't at work. What are they doing here? <laughs> Even at two o'clock in the afternoon, people are out on the street. I didn't realize. But, you know, it's very freeing to, to get up. And that's part of confidence, you know, being confident in, in the fact that you've completed your work and that you're not leaving anything on the table. Also being confident that your peers aren't judging you. Who cares? Forget it. You know, and your project managers know that you got your work done. Then there's really no question. Don't take advantage, but know when the moment is right. I agree. And it's scary. It can feel really scary. Like as you describe that situation, I remember the feeling of like everyone's you're like looking at the people around you you're, and you can tell like no one's even close to leaving. <laughs> like It's not like if you waited out for 15 minutes, like someone else will leave. Like you can just tell and you're just like sitting there staring, having this like inner like dialogue. <laughs> 
It's a total arms race. And then there's, of course, well, is my boss leaving? Because I'll just wait till my boss leaves. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) And then I'll leave because you can't leave before your manager or your boss. Yeah. And, you know, it's tricky, too, because I think this can vary so much depending on the culture of where you work. But I, I always encourage people to give themselves more autonomy and to push the boundaries more, because I think a lot of the times, especially people who listen to this show, we we're not we're not doing that enough. We're much more likely to be too much in people pleasing mode, too much in in worrying mode. It's definitely true. And as you can see, it's something I still struggle with today, but I've been trying really hard and having a family has definitely helped that. I don't really talk about the fact that I have kids, but lately at Okay, so I'm, I'm going to switch gears for a moment and then you can decide whether or not this is appropriate to share. But I'm the type of person who doesn't, doesn't really want to volunteer the fact that I'm a female who works and has a family. I just, I want to work and I want to be recognized for good work, male or female. To me, it's not consequential, which is which of the other I am. But lately, I've been feeling very much like everybody's been touting me as the woman who works and has a family. And on the one hand, I feel really good about that because people say you have it all or, or you're managing it all, which of course nobody is because something always suffers. But I am most of what I could have ever imagined this to be and took a leap and had a family. But I don't like the label, I guess is what I'm saying, that I just I want to be good at what I do because I'm good at what I do and not because I'm a woman, not because I'm a mother and not because I have any, anything else personal going on in my life. That being said... I am a woman. I am a mother. I do have a family life. And so that allows me to shift my priorities a little bit and at certain moments walk away and say, no, I need to see my kids. For example, if I go in late one day a week, and by late, I mean a half hour later than my original start time, it makes a really big difference in my family life. And it even took me time to say that I would, to say to myself that I was going to do that, that I was going to go in a half hour later, one or two days a week. So that I could see my two kids in the morning before I go to work. And now that I've done it, I, I know it's the right thing. What this is describing for me is that it's still a challenge to walk away from work. And it's still a challenge to set those boundaries. And it doesn't matter if you're junior or you're senior, when you're committed to your work, you're constantly having to rewrite the map that is your work-life balance. And as long as you recognize it and you sort of take that deep breath and rewrite it, it's very helpful. That's such an important thing to share. And I I think it's so individualized to the person, too, because we all restore energy and feel balanced in very different ways. And I think figuring out where it comes from and and as you have, like figuring out what are those things that you need to have in place is really important. That's very well said, because a lot of what allows me to stay at my company for a long time is redefining my role there. I don't necessarily do things that are different, but there are nuanced shifts that happen in my day in terms of my work-life balance and in terms of my relationship with other staff members and having that support so that I can do so. And that has allowed me to stay at my firm for nearly six years now, because if I had just kept going at the same speed, I would have burned out and been gone. And I don't think that's what any company really wants. They want good people to stick with them. Yeah, they want their employees to be happy. And I think if you just ask yourself, is this in the interest of the company as a whole? 
that can really help you decide, like, should I stay here until seven staring at my computer doing nothing or should I leave? Like, what will it impact the direction of this company? I should probably leave because if I feel like an autonomous employee who has freedom, that will actually help me feel better in this job and not feel like this job completely owns me and controls every minute of my being until the clock hits that certain hour. And on this theme of leaving the office and setting boundaries, I also want to quickly hit on this fear that I know a lot of people have that if they leave the office or they say no to something, they say no to that project or set that boundary, that they'll be viewed less favorably or that they'll look, quote unquote, bad. And I'll tell you my experience. My experience was like, oh, I can't say no to this because then I look like I'm like not doing the best work. I'm being lazy or whatever. People aren't going to you know, see me as a top performer. And then I realized that actually it's a lot more about my personal autonomy and how much I respect myself. And when I say what I actually think is the best answer or the right answer, if that involves a boundary or that involves changing a project or even saying no to something, it sends a signal to people of like, oh, this is someone who's really thinking about things. This is someone who isn't just going to say yes to everything, does have the best interests of the company in mind, but like isn't afraid to set boundaries. Okay, cool. And then something that I might notice happen in the future is I start getting fewer garbage projects <laughs> or um, I start getting more respected because I'm doing that. So I guess the question is, have you felt fear of like pushing back? And then has that fear been proven wrong in your experience? That's a really delicate question. You have to think carefully about what you say and how you say it would be my best piece of advice there. And you were talking about not getting as many garbage projects. <laughs> that is, forget about garbage projects. It's like volunteering for, excuse my French, for shit that no one else wants to do. And my tendency is always when there's a quiet room to say, yeah, I'll do it. And I stopped. I just stopped. Oh. It's not getting you anywhere. Yeah, someone might appreciate in the short term that you took on that unfavorable assignment. But really, if that's not what your job is about at the office, then nobody's recognizing you for the work that you should be doing to get promoted. So you can you can do the grub tasks and you should for the interest of the office, but don't take them on all the time because I don't think they get you as far as you might think. I love the name Grub Task. <laughs> I completely agree. And I would say if you are taking one on, you got to be very strategic about why you're doing it. And you need to make sure it has the ROI that you think it's going to have, right? Because usually you say yes, and then it like disappears into a black hole and, you know, you never get credit for it. And so if you are in a situation where like if you're earlier in your career, you feel like maybe there is a reason to say yes, just follow through on that and make sure that you're getting recognized and make sure there is an ROI there before you ever say yes to one of those again. Absolutely. Is that task going to get you FaceTime with someone you don't usually get to talk to? That would be a great reason to do that. Is that task going to give you a skill that you didn't have and if it wasn't part of your immediate project profile and now you can bring it to other projects and say you worked on it? Or is it really just an administrative task that you're doing as a favor to the office? Those are the pitfalls. One last thing is, if there's anyone out there who's listening, who's wondering about landscape architecture and thinking, could this be a field for me? Would you be able to share what, you know, what type of person you think might enjoy the line of work that you do? I'm so happy you asked that. You must oh, really good. be my friend. Because <laughs> no one knows what we do. Uh, I don't think my parents sort of get it now. Uh, <laughs> I totally fell into landscape architecture in undergrad and then pursued my master's in it as well. 
a lot of people don't know it exists. So it's a sister to architecture, urban planning, or urban design. Um, it's a really wonderful field. It's a lot more fluid than architecture, I think I could say. Uh, there are different scales of design. So you could do tiny little gardens. You could design entire cities. You get to collaborate with other disciplines such as architects, engineers, all types of engineers. And that's what I particularly love about my firm is that we work on public spaces and parks for people to truly enjoy. And then we get to work with all these great consultants that have aligning uh, expertise. Do people underestimate the complexity required in like the landscape portion of the architecture? Because like my immediate brain was like, my immediate thought was like, okay, how do you work with the engineer? Right. Everybody thinks that all we're doing is planting plans. Um, and then and then I stupidly st- start to explain how, no, it includes hardscape, which means pavement. And then, so we're still at the surface level, right? And everyone just thinks we're, we're painting on top of the surface. But um, oftentimes our firm, actually more often than not, our firm leads major projects. So leads an entire team of consultants. And we work with engineers to design complex water systems. We work on riverfronts. So we're oftentimes engaging with hydrology, waterfront ecology, and then there's land ecology. There's just necessary things like drainage on your site and making sure that all your water is going into the right place. There's, of course, the planting and making sure that you have the right species and and mix. And we, we work with soil scientists. The list goes on and on. So it is not a solitary exercise, either within the office and outside of the office. We're always collaborating and it's extremely complex. But you also... You're reminding me of just a funny anecdote is that when I would go out of construction sites, I would look terrible. I would have a vest that was like down to my knees, a hard hat that was too big. I finally asked someone in my office to order some smaller sizes because they just, they only had male sizes there. or They were large, extra large. I guess that was the default. So I finally got myself a really nice, it's not fitted, but it looks like it fits. It's not my father's vest. And and this is a real thing. So me and another woman who do construction administration asked to order half a dozen smaller size vests so that when we go out there, we don't look ridiculous amongst all the male contractors outside. Good on you for saying something. And I'm feeling like now is a good point to go into the closing question. So if you're ready, I'm going to start by asking you to share a little bit about what speaking up means to you since the title of the show is called The Art of Speaking Up. I have been thinking about this and doing the podcast with you has made me more comfortable, but I've been a little uncomfortable speaking up. And what I'd like to share with women is that while you may listen and hear all of these females who seem completely confident and have a huge feminist backbone and are ready to take the movement by charge, that's really not who I am or who I play on a day-to-day basis. And so I just want other people to know that and understand that even if you're a little bit more shy or you're a little bit more reserved and this isn't your comfort zone, that that's okay. Sometimes it can feel intimidating when when you're listening to a podcast and all of the females are gung-ho, but if you are at least listening in and you're taking stock of the conversation, I think that's a really great starting point. And for me, that's actually where it started and inspired me to become more vocal. It's not my comfort zone. Don't be fooled by this podcast. But I'm becoming more comfortable with the idea of of speaking up on my behalf and really not only on my behalf, but on behalf of the other junior staff behind me. And this is, you don't have to include this. This is a non sequitur, but I think 
a lot of this is also becoming a mother. And I, in a lot, for a long while, I just, I didn't want to acknowledge it because I, again, I felt like that's irrelevant to my work, whether or not I'm a mother, I could still do my work. It has nothing to do with it. But I actually think it's, I've started to feel a little bit more responsible for the female junior staff behind me. We, we, we just revamped our maternity policy and talk about having a lot of responsibility in the office and for the people to come after. And so making sure that all of the women in your fields, in your office, feel comfortable and are taken care of is really important. I love that so much. And I'm so excited to ask you the last question. The context for the last question is because the show was inspired by my early career experiences when I was feeling overwhelmed, having a tough time, not feeling confident. And I started the show so that I could speak to women who might be in that space and make them feel inspired and good and make them see that they can do what they want in their careers, even if things are hard. And so I want to give you the floor to share whatever message you think is important that you would want listeners to hear. So I guess to piggybacking on what we just discussed, keep listening, keep reading articles, keep keep your finger on the pulse. And the more that you expose yourself, the more confident you'll become. None of this happens when, when we're in a solitary environment. I've learned that through design. I've learned that through peer support from other females in my office and the like. Awesome. Thank you for coming on the show, Alexia. Thanks, Jess. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Alexia. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something and took something away from this. And don't feel like you have to go out and do all of these things all at once. It's all about baby steps and finding little ways and little opportunities to put some of these new things into practice and to see how they work for you and how they make you feel. As always, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, I would love it if you could leave a review in the iTunes store. They make me insanely happy. It feels good to know that the show is helpful for people and that the content is really connecting. I appreciate those so much. And as always, send your listener questions to me. You can DM me on Instagram. Handle is at the art of speaking up or send me an email, Jessica at the art of speaking up.com. We did not have a listener question on this episode because we had actually hit so much on all of the points in the listener question, which was all about time management and how to have those conversations with your manager about managing your workload in a way that reflects positively on you. But if you have questions, keep them coming. I love to hear from you. I love to help you. And I love to answer them. Thanks again. Have an incredible day. And I'll catch you next week. Bye. Bye.